This morning I want to talk about the emotion of hopelessness. Hopelessness is a powerful emotion. And it's characterized by a lack of hope, a lack of optimism, and a lack of passion. When someone is feeling hopeless, they're not very optimistic, and they're not really very passionate about living. Hopelessness happens when you find yourself in a situation where there is no confidence or confident expectation of a positive outcome. People sometimes, when they're in that condition, say things or think things like, it's never going to get any better. I'll never be happy again. No one can help me. It's too late. And I think a lot of us may have those thoughts from time to time. There are situations that come up in our lives that cause that to happen, and it's very easy to try to mask that, cover it up so that no one really sees that, but that's what's going on inside of us. People that experience hopelessness sometimes don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. On December the 17th, 1927, a USS S-4 submarine collided with a Coast Guard ship off the coast of Massachusetts. The submarine sank to the bottom of the ocean immediately and it was landed at 110 feet at the bottom of the ocean. The entire crew of 40 men were trapped and waited to be rescued. There were numerous rescues attempts that were made, but none of them were successful. And there was a deep sea diver toward the end of the ordeal who was doing everything in his power to rescue the crew. And he heard tapping on the steel wall of the submarine. And the tapping was Morse code. And the message that was being tapped out was this. Is there any hope? The people inside wanted to know, is there any hope? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Can you recall ever being in a hopeless situation yourself? Maybe you've not experienced a situation like that, but I'm sure that if you live long enough, you'll realize that there are some things that can make you feel hopeless. The death of a spouse or a very close family member. Sometimes people feel hopeless that there's nothing that they're going to, they can do. And I've heard many times people say, I don't know how I'm going to go on. A chronic illness where it just you never seem to get better. And it's something that you have to deal with. And many times people feel hopeless in that situation. Perhaps it's a marriage that you're having difficulties with. And there's a possibility of divorce. And sometimes when each partner isn't doing what they're supposed to do, it can lead to a hopeless feeling, a hopeless situation. Maybe there's a potential for financial ruin or the loss of a job or a career. Maybe it's an addiction that you have to something that you shouldn't have but it's there and you can't shake it and you feel like there's, it's just hopeless trying to deal with it. Or perhaps there's a prodigal son 
or prodigal daughter that you're dealing with and the situation seems hopeless. But whether things are going well right now or going terribly, we all need to know and understand that there is hope for the hopeless. God has given us the ability to feel the emotion of hopelessness. And the reason may be so that we will look for the ultimate source of hope that is outside of ourselves. I believe that the greatest source of hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus. We have been talking about that over the last few weeks, quite often mentioned in different sermons, but the fact of the matter is we would have no hope without the resurrection of Christ. And we need to be thankful for that. And you can see Paul and Silas who were in prison and able to sing songs of praise and pray to God when they had been placed in the stocks and later they were released. But during that period of time that they were held captive, they were still able to rejoice. You can see in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John were apprehended and told not to preach. And they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. In chapter 5, the apostles, the group, were persecuted and beaten because they simply preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but yet they rejoiced because of the persecution. Why is it that they were able to rejoice in a situation that seemed so hopeless? And I want you to remember that had they not become Christians, they wouldn't be in the situation that they were in. The apostles, Paul, Peter, John, none of them would have been in that situation if they weren't preaching the Gospel. If it wasn't for Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, they would have still been practicing Judaism. And so their problems arose as a result of becoming a Christian. And sometimes that happens to us. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. And we long for a God who will, who is all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing and a God who cares about our struggles and is able to do something to help us through them. And thankfully, we have a God like that that we can find strength and hope when we need it. And God is there to help us. And so today, I want to remind us all that God, that the God that we serve is a God that cares about us, is a God that loves us, and is a God that knows what we're going through. And every one of us need to understand that we're on a journey from here to eternity. And we don't know how long our earthly journey is going to be. For some, it's going to be shorter than they think. For others, it may be longer than they think. But nevertheless, we all need the strength and hope that God offers to us so that we can face the ups and downs and be prepared for those things when they happen. Acceptance of the hope that Jesus offers and employing the power we have because of Him are important parts of our ability to survive and to thrive during our earthly journey here on this earth. This morning I would like for us to look at three events in the Bible 
in the Scriptures that I believe will strengthen our faith, or I hope they strengthen our faith, and our hope in God. The first one is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. Beginning of verse 11, it says, And it came to pass a day after that he went into the city of called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and he touched the bier, and they, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited the people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all of Judea and throughout all the regions around about. Just for a moment, I would like for you to put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in that place where we see this, this, this woman finds herself. I'm sure that she was taking her son and maybe she'd had a funeral, maybe not, but they were on their way to the cemetery. And men were carrying the body of her son, her only son. Imagine the sorrow that she is experiencing. Her husband is dead and now she's lost her only son. And in dealing with people that go through an experience like that, many times they seem to think that there's an order that we're going to die in. Grandparents, parents, and then children. And many times that parent, when they have to bury that child, is, is upset because they didn't expect to have to do that. And I would imagine that this widowed woman was in the same situation. She didn't expect her child to die. Her, her son. I don't know how old he was. He's called a man. But I'm sure she didn't expect that to happen. But suddenly the procession stops because a man stops in front of it. He wasn't at the time, or he wasn't there when the son died. And she had no idea what was going to happen. But before anyone could object, he steps up and says, Weep not. In other words, don't cry. Now what would be your reaction? Don't cry. Do you know what situation I'm in? Do you know the hopelessness that I feel? You're saying, don't cry. But before she can speak her thoughts, Jesus does something. The Bible says in verses 14 and 15 that He came and He touched the beer, and they that bear Him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Jesus touched whatever he was being carried on. Whether it was a coffin, whether it was whatever platform that he was on, read those words very slowly. He that was dead sat up and began to speak. What was wrong with that picture? Do you see anything strange that's taking place? Well, first of all, dead people don't sit up. 
Dead people don't talk. Dead people don't leave their coffins. That is, unless God shows up. And when God shows up, we never know what will happen. Now, I don't want anybody to get the idea that I think a miracle could happen today, but it's not going to. Miracles were for a purpose to confirm the Word of God. That word's been confirmed, but we have the recordings of it so that you and I can have faith, so that you and I can be strong, so that you and I can know what to believe. But what I want us to realize is that Jesus had compassion, that Jesus cared, that Jesus knew, and Jesus did something about it, and He can help us in the most hopeless situations that we may find ourselves in. And when it comes to death, I don't think that there's a, a, a feeling of, of hopelessness that's, any, that's more stronger than that. Because it's totally out of our control. There's nothing that we can do to bring that person back. The next story or event that I want us to look at is found in John chapter 11, verses 1-44. through 44, And of course, I don't have time to read it. But we know that Jesus was in a particular place and He got word that Lazarus was sick. And finally, it came to a point where Jesus told His disciples that Lazarus was sick and that He was sleeping. And they said, well, if He's sleeping, it's going to do Him some good. And Jesus plainly says, He's not sleeping, He's dead. And so Jesus gets to Bethany. He wasn't there when Lazarus died. He wasn't there when Lazarus was sick. But he gets to Bethany and it had been and Lazarus had been dead for four days. And in verse twenty, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, so when she so she went out to meet him and said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. You can almost hear the pain, the the hurt that's in her voice. And how many times have we said something of that, something similar to that, if not those very words, that where were you, Lord? Why didn't you? Why weren't you here? Why haven't you helped me? Why haven't you gotten me through this situation? But after Martha made her complaint, she then stated her conviction. She said, "But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God." God will give it to thee. And when Mary entered the scene, she said the same thing that her sister said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Verse 32. And then comes the most moving verse in the Bible. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I want us to remember that. Jesus understood the suffering that they were going through. Jesus understands what we go through. He understands our pain. He understands our, our difficulties. He cares about us. And He asked the question, Where have you laid Him? And they said unto Him, Lord, Come and see. And then the Scripture says, <clears throat> verse 35, Jesus wept. 
Verse 38 tells us that He came to the tomb, which was a cave with a large stone across the entrance. And Jesus once again was greatly moved. He said, take away the stone. But why? Why take away the stone? And as I said earlier, Martha says something that only a sister could say about her brother. Lord, by the time by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. She realized the finality of Lazarus' life. She realized that her brother was in that tomb and was dead and that he wasn't going to come back to life until the resurrection. But Jesus was insistent that they remove the stone and they followed His direction. And Jesus looked to heaven and prayed. And then He said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I would imagine that when Jesus was standing outside of that tomb and He said, Lazarus, come forth, that not a person outside of that tomb moved. I would imagine that it was dead silence. People wondering what was He doing? What was going to happen? No one moved except Lazarus. And Lazarus came to life. His heart started to beat. His eyes opened. He sat up and he walked out of that tomb. You want to know what happened? It says in the dead came forth. Verse 44, And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Read those six words again. He that was dead came forth. Again, what's wrong with that picture? Dead people that have been dead for four days don't come out of a grave. Dead men don't come back to life unless God shows up. Again, we don't expect a miracle like that to happen now. Because of our hope, we do expect everyone to come forth out of the grave when the Lord returns. That's the hope that we have. Which brings us to our last event that we want to look at and that is Jesus and His resurrection. Matthew chapter 27, verse 57 through 28, chapter 28, verse 10. If you follow the events that had taken place in the previous or that week, we know that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and there was a great entry. You know, people were cheering, people were happy. I'm sure the disciples thought, you know, Jesus is the one. He is he's going to be the King of Kings. But that didn't last. We know that Jesus cleansed the temple. And we know that they enjoyed the Passover meal with Jesus and that He washed their feet, teaching them a great lesson in humility. But confusion started to happen. Jesus predicted His betrayal. He predicted the denial that Peter would have predicted His arrest and crucifixion. His disciples didn't understand how that could be. 
They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus expressed His overwhelming sorrow and agony and then prayed by Himself while His disciples slept a distance away. The mob arrived. There was the kiss of betrayal. And Jesus was taken away. And all of His disciples, the Bible says, fled. By the time morning arrived, Jesus had been tried in front of several officials and condemned to die. He was crucified that morning and was dead by three that afternoon and placed in a tomb that was borrowed. None of the disciples could believe what was taking place. They had followed Jesus all of those years, three years. They had made great sacrifice. They listened to the things that He said. They watched the miracles that He did. They listened to the parables that He taught. They heard all of those things. And I'm sure that they had great hope. But now, the one that they had hope in was dead and laid in the tomb. Can you imagine how hopeless they must have felt. You know, sometimes when we read events in the Bible and we look at individuals and we wonder, how could that ever happen? And I think that if we put ourselves in their situation, a lot of times we can understand it. Because wouldn't we be hopeless in a situation like that when we see our the person that we've been following and we've been listening to his teachings and now he's dead and he's in the tomb? Oh yes, we saw him raise others from the dead. But now He's the one that's dead in the tomb. Jesus had repeatedly predicted His death, burial, and His resurrection. But I don't believe any of them were expecting Him to rise from the dead. The Bible records what happens that morning with these words found in Matthew chapter 28 beginning in verse 1. And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. In verse 4, the guards that they had placed outside of the tomb, it says, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. They saw what was happening and you see the result of what happened. They were like dead men. They didn't move. And then in verse 5 it says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as He said. Come see the place where Jesus lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He goeth before you in Galilee. There shall ye see Him. Lo, I have told told you. Again, what's wrong with that picture? People who are dead and have been dead for three days don't come back to life and appear before 500 brethren and the apostles and and others and Paul. That is, unless God makes it happen. And God brought His Son back to life. You see, the resurrection really happened. 
That's why it's important that we understand that. Paul tells us that the resurrection resurrection did not take place, that our faith is vain, we're still in our sins, and we are of all people most miserable. And so the resurrection took place, and Jesus demonstrated that power when He raised the widow's son, when He raised Lazarus from the dead. He showed His power, but we see the power that God had when Jesus came forth out of the grave. Paul tells us, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I don't have all the verse up there. I just have the points that I want us to, to look at. But in verse 18, beginning, it says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that she may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, <clears throat> and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His right hand in heavenly places. It's my prayer that each one of us knows the hope of our calling. We know why we are what we are. We know the reason behind it. We understand that that resurrection is something that is very important to us. And I pray that we will depend upon the power, the great power that God offers to us who believe. To those of us who are Christians, that power of the same resurrection power that God exerted in Christ. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. He's the first one to come up we're going to come up out of that grave too. And we're going to rise if we've been faithful to our Lord to a better home, to a better place. The resurrection power of God should enable us to have the hope that we could ever need in this life. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, again, I don't have the entire verse up there, Beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, so now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Peter says, we have been begotten again unto a lively hope, a living hope. The hope that we have isn't something that's fictitious. It's not some fantasy. It's a living hope. It's real. It's there. It's there to help us. And when we look at those verses, we can see all the wonderful truths that are found in it. 
that we have that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where our hope stands. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We have an inheritance that can never perish. It can't fade away. It can't decay. And in the meantime, as the Scripture says that Peter gives us, we may face suffering. We may face difficulties. We may face temptations. But they all have a purpose and we have the power through Christ to overcome. And all of this results if we remain faithful in an unexpressible and glorious joy that we can't even imagine. Why did Paul and Silas sing in that prison? Because they had that hope. Why did the apostles count it a joy to suffer shame for the name of Christ? They had that hope. They knew that there was something better. And whatever happened on the, in this earth was going to help them to get to that place that they, that's been promised to those who are faithful. But I want you to remember this. <clears throat> the goals of these events is not to impress the amazement that took place of someone coming forth from the dead. But they're there so that we can look forward with faith and hope so that we know what we believe and we can be confident that what we read in God's Word is what God wants us to do. You see, our God is the God of the impossibles. Our God can do what we need. <clears throat> the angels declared in Luke chapter 1 and verse 27, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Jesus himself declared in Matthew chapter 19 verse 26, with God all things are possible. Just when we think we have God figured out, he does the impossible. Once again, He's not going to do miracles because miracles were for a purpose. But He will help us if we will allow Him to do so. Remember what I said about the apostles. They could have went on living life as they had before Jesus came and life would have been a whole lot, lot, lot easier. But once they became followers of Christ, once they became Christians, their life was challenged. They had difficulties. It wasn't easy. They were persecuted. They were put in prison. They were beaten. They were stoned. A lot of things happened. But look what that hope did for them because of the resurrection, the faith that they had in the resurrection of Christ. I know that at times... There are difficulties in our road that we travel. There are problems that trip us up. There are problems that trouble us. There are problems that cause us to fall into traps. And sometimes it seems it's hard to get out of those traps. But with God's help, we can. And many of those difficulties seem like the stones that were in front of those tombs that were unmovable. You know, like the women going to the, to the tomb of Jesus. Who's going to roll away the stone? Sometimes that's the question that we have. 
Because our problem is so big and we think that we can't take care of it ourselves. And we can't. What's that stone that stands implanted in your life that seems too heavy to move? Is it a heart broken by a neglectful or unfaithful spouse? Does it have the word cancer in it? Sometimes... Diagnosis can make people feel very hopeless. Is it the challenge of a child that is rebellious? Does it have something to do with money or careers? Is it a battle with addictions? Does it have to do with controlling anger or other emotions like fear and depression? Is it some sin that you committed years ago and you can't seem to shake the guilt from it? Or is it something else? I don't know your situation. Like I said, many times we can mask our problems in front of people. But when we go home, that hopelessness may be there. So I don't know what your problem may be. And I don't know if you even have one. Maybe you don't. But you can fill in the blank. But I want you to listen to this. Whatever the problem may be, it's no match for God. God who spoke still speaks. He speaks to us through His Word, and if we will read it and apply it to our lives, it will help us. So many times I show people what the Bible says, they don't want to do those things. They want God to accept their way, and then they expect... It's sort of like Mary and Martha. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you helping? For one, we don't want to listen to Him. The God that forgives still forgives today. The God who came still comes today. He's in, he, he's in our lives. And He cares about us. And He loves us. And sometimes the problems that we have are there for a reason. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. The Bible doesn't tell us what that thorn in the flesh is, but he asked God to remove it. And what was the answer? My grace is sufficient Sometimes the problems that we have are there for a reason, and sometimes those problems are there to keep us humble or keep us in in a state where we need to realize the dependence that we have on God. God comes into our world, and He comes to do what we can't do for ourselves. He comes to move those stones that we can't bulge. Sometimes He completely removes those stones, but other times He simply moves them out of the way or helps us to get over them or through them or around them. God can still calm the storms of life. Our God is the God who still cares about us. And He gives us sight so that we can see what's down the road. And that's at home in heaven. And that's why the resurrection of our Lord should mean so much to us. That's why we should be filled with faith, hope, and joy. Whatever the circumstances may be. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, <clears throat> "...but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard." 
Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Do we really love God? Then think of what He's got prepared for us. Think of the life that He wants us to live. You see, our God is good. He is so good. And He's able to bless us both in this life and in the life to come. If you've never given Him a chance to work in your life, don't you think it's time to start? When you become a Christian, just like I said about the apostles and others that became Christians, it caused more problems for them. And sometimes living a Christian life is tough. It's hard. It's not easy. But if we're faithful to God, it will be worth whatever we go through in this life. As the words of that song that's in our songbook say, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Jesus wants you to be a child of His. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, <clears throat> but have everlasting life. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We'll have a little bit more to say about that tonight. But that's what He said. If we believe and we're baptized, we'll be saved. We'll be in that saved condition. And He also said, and this is the hard part, if any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. That's not always easy to do. But that's what Jesus wants us to do. We want Him to help us through our difficulties. We want to have that hope that we need to put our trust and faith in Him. Put our trust in God because He loves us, He cares about us, and He wants us to follow Him. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stay in the same.